0: Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brown Goggles, Just One Helmets, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gabart. With us on the line, we've got Dave Castile, Godbot himself. Dave, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. How are you? Hey, not too bad, not too bad whatsoever up here in the great Canadian north where it's overcast, minus uh, 14 degrees, which for you is about zero, uh, so uh, it's 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 a struggle right now, but uh, thankfully uh, today I've been talking to some guys down in the States, uh, giving me those warm and fuzzies. Yeah, well, uh, well, first of all, what part of Canada are you in? Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, the inventors of coal. Oh, uh geez.
1: Home I been a little White time
0: in, in Toronto, and it okay.
1: is very cold, I feel for you. It is, if it makes you feel better, it's raining on me right now in California.
0: Oh, fair enough. Well, that's a rarity right there. Yeah, it is. Fair enough. What were, uh, you were up in Toronto working on, what film was that? Uh, that was Robocop. That's right. Awesome. So, um, your film career uh, at this point actually probably uh, exceeds your uh, as far as the time length of time your your motocross career. But for those who don't know, uh, what uh, what p- p- pictures have you been a part of, and what are some of the highlights or some of the coolest moments that you've had in the film industry um, in recent memory?
1: Oh wow! Um, actually, yeah, you're right. It's it's been a while now. I'm getting pretty old. <laughs> makes me feel old when you say that. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been, uh, in films since, um, I think it was 99. And how that came about was, um, was, uh, they needed a guy to do a stunt double on a motorcycle, a dirt bike for Brendan Fraser uh, on a movie that I did in, in Vancouver, actually up in Canada. Um, it was Dudley Do-Right and they, they couldn't find anybody within the Screen Actors Guild, which is what all the stuntmen are in. Um to fill that role. So at that point they're allowed to look elsewhere. And and uh, if you didn't know it, Brendan Fraser's a six foot three, two hundred pound guy, he's a big dude. And mm-hmm. so um some friends of mine, Brian Manley and, and Jim Hawley and uh and Jimmy Roberts, who were all you know working in the stunt industry at that point, who were all former racers, um, you know, said, Hey, we we've got a guy who could easily fit the bill and, and that's how I got into that. Um and over the course of the years I've done quite a few films. Uh, when people ask me for some reason, I, I blank on that and, and I don't remember, but, um, but you can look on IMDB. If you look me up, you'll see a bunch. Um, in, in recent history, some of the really cool ones, obviously I did. Um, I don't know if it's obvious, but, um, I did Charlie's angels, full throttle back, That's right. way back when the the Supercross scene. And, and that was super fun. Cause I was doubling the bad guy and, uh, and got to do a bunch of work and, and met, a lot of great stunt people on that who really jump started my career because they sort of carried me along and taught me the ropes for, you know, for other things other than riding motorcycles, and, you know? So that was great. Those guys, um, Mick Rogers and, and Chris Tuck and, and Tom Harper. And there's just a, a slew of guys who helped me out and, and sort of pulled me along. And in, in recent years I've done, um, I've got to be a part of some really cool stuff. Um, you know, I, a couple of the Iron Man movies and, and, uh, other Marvel, um, you know, Marvel shows. Um, I did Dark Knight Rises and I was Dublin Bane. Um, I got to do one of the Bourne movies and, um, obviously RoboCop, which we spoke about. Right. Um, just lots of stuff and lots of television shows and commercials. The Toyota spots that are running right now, I don't know if they're running in Canada, but Got to do those and uh, had Ronnie Renner out there and like me and a couple of guys on it with us.
0: That's one that sticks out to me because I, that's something I, we don't see a lot of on uh, Canadian television. Mostly uh, our commercials are uh, for beer and hockey and then sometimes <laughs> beer with hockey. Uh, and then right. all of a sudden I see uh, Jim Castillo uh, jumping across my, uh, my television screen and I stand up and uh, and, and got to get pretty excited. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, like It's one thing, obviously, you're super proud of the the movies that you've been in. And, of course, you had to put on uh, 400 pounds of solid muscle to double Bane. Uh, but um, right. to, to be in a commercial that uh, literally an entire nation is going to be uh, taking in, because, of course, uh, the, that commercial is uh, frequently on our Toronto Sports Network, which is ESPN oh. Canada. So uh, right. that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. Um commercials are great. They you know, they're um they don't last work wise it, it doesn't take very long and, and you generally get a lot out of it. So um the Toyota commercials have been great, those spots are great and those trucks are really really cool. Um to come, as we got to drive around and beat up. Um as well as we got to, you know, showcase motorcycling and off road motorcycling and, and show off the sport a little bit to uh to the whole nation, which is always great.
0: Now, did you get an opportunity to work on the uh, the Mad Max film, where they had uh, a number of different motocross bikes uh, dressed up in some uh, some pretty odd and futuristic, uh, crazy, uh, crazy stuff on there?
1: Um, I did not. That oh, okay. film was all it was all done in Australia, and Fair they are pretty adamant about using um, Aussie stunt guys as they should be.
0: Fair enough.
1: So, um, and I haven't seen it, but I heard it's amazing. I heard there's some really big stunts. I did um, a, a show a while back called Priest, um, and we rode bikes that were a lot like that, from what I've heard. Um, you know, super dressed up, futuristic looking.
0: Um, yeah. You know, stuff well. Super. Into
1: it and... Difficult to ride bikes, which is generally the case. Anytime you get a, a picture bike, it's they've usually screwed it up to the point where it's almost unrideable.
0: Well, like, explain a situation like that where you were like basically on set and they like give you a bike alright you're going to ride this and you're like yeah not possible <laughs>
1: um, well back to RoboCop um, so they took basically a perfectly good um, I think they were the Ninja 1000s right. stock bikes and they decided to build a um, a lengthened Swing arm on it to make it longer so that you lay on the bike sort of like the bat pod bike but when they did that they whoever did it didn't really do a, a great job because the swing arms were all off so the bikes would either you sort of shimmy to the left or, or stick to the right you couldn't really get a good turn out of them and then to to top that off then they um you know you're laying down on your basically on your belly on the bike and and they drop the bars inside this cowling that you can't actually turn the, the handlebars inside of. so as soon as you turn the handlebars, you hit your front brake or the clutch, and and uh, and your feet are on the rear axle. So it's, it's a really uncomfortable thing to ride. It weighed almost 1,000 pounds with all the bodywork they put on it, and it's all up high. Um, and then to top that off, they put you in a RoboCop suit, which is hard enough as it is to move around in, and then put you on the streets of Toronto when it's frozen. So, you know, and then they ask you Win-win. to you know, drag a knee. And, uh, yeah, you drag, drag a knee and pull a gun out at the same time, and... and shoot it and you just you just scratch your head and you think, these people have never, they, they don't even have a, a, the slightest clue how to ride a motorcycle, first of all, and, and secondly, you know, what, what people are actually capable of. I kept trying to tell them that I'm not
0: actually a Robocop, I'm, I'm a human being, and, I, and I've
1: got to accomplish this, uh so.
0: No kidding, that, that's absolutely wild Like, uh, And of course, anyone who would think of becoming a, a stuntman And as, as motocross racers, uh, we, we attempt some crazy, crazy things But uh, some of the things that we see in movies are, uh, are absolutely surreal The types of things that you guys are throwing yourselves into uh, What's a situation that uh, you've had to psych yourself up to Or uh, one that you uh, really just kind of had to uh, throw caution to the wind and, uh, and just send it?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, over the years stunts I've, you know, I, I guess I've been lucky enough to, to get into it when technology has sort of taken over and you don't actually have to do that stuff, um, to the degree that the, that the old time stunt guys who really paved the path did. Um, I'm actually super afraid of heights. And so anytime I have to get up on, um, on any sort of ledge or any, anything like that, it, it is just, it's the worst feeling for me. Um, you know, on, on a TV show I used to do called Chuck, where I was doubling, uh, Zach Levi, who's, who was Chuck on the show, I, I had to stand on the outside of the, the Bonaventure Hotel, downtown L.A., where there's exterior um, glass elevators that go up and down. And um, I had to jump from which just thirty three stories up, so about 333 feet. Um, I had to jump off the top only about a half a story down, but out probably ten feet and land on top of the the elevator and then slide down and hold the side of it while there was a fight going on in the elevator while it went up and down the side of the building and that that sticks out to me as just obviously we had a we did have a safety line on it was low, probably wasn't gonna die, but just standing on the edge of the building and to top it off, I was in boxer shorts at three in the morning but i I remember just standing up on the side of the wall and and my legs just started to shake because the the height was just. Just over overcame me, sort of. But uh, anything heights-wise, uh, not obviously jumping a motorcycle or anything, but but just standing on the edge of something is not for me.
0: Fair enough, and of course, yeah. With your work, it's not just uh, riding motorcycles. We'd love to have every single movie uh, have something along those lines. Uh, what is the strangest uh, request anyone's ever had of you? Uh, whether it be uh, a, a director asking you for, for a specific thing, or like a, a, an action on the on the on the set on set, or uh, uh, on a, a fan asking for your underwear. <laughs>
1: Well, I think you asked me for my underwear a couple of years ago at Anaheim, right?
0: I, I think so. That was my my only request. I wanted the underwear you were wearing at that very moment.
1: I, I think I remember that. Yeah.
0: Um, strange
1: requests. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't recall anything super strange. Um, kind of like what I said earlier, though, with people asking you to do things that, that are... You know, any of us who ride, just you just sort of laugh inside and wonder what they're actually thinking. But... Um, nothing, nothing strange, you know, uh, nothing dangerous. they it's, it's actually a very safety conscious, um, thing filmmaking, everybody's number one concern is safety. And even in stunts, you know, I know that we sometimes do things that are inherently dangerous, but, um, but we're always looking out for safety. So no one's really ever asking you to do anything that's, um, over the top unsafe, you know, we take every precaution we can. Obviously when you hurt someone, it's not a good thing for, uh, for studios.
0: Fair enough. So, uh, as you know, uh, you're on your way to, uh, to set right now to put in some work this evening. Are you at liberty to say what you're working on and, uh, some of the, the ins and outs of what you got going on? I
1: haven't really asked,
0: <laughs> Okay, but I've
1: seen a couple of guys throw up some, uh, some Instagram posts. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's out of the question to say what I'm working on. I, obviously I can't talk about the storyline or anything, but I'm uh, working on a movie that, uh, the working title really is an untitled Dax Shepherd comedy, but it's uh, it's chips. It's sort of a, a reboot or a remake of chips, the the 70s TV show. Um, and we're uh, we're doing a feature film, which is really really fun.
0: Well there you go that that's uh, that's pretty cool. it's just, it's cool to be a part of a, a remake of something like that, put a new spin on it. And uh and, and it's encouraging to hear that uh, you you're constantly doing more work and uh and being successful with it. So where yeah. did this all start for you as far as uh let us go way back. Let's go back to when uh Dave Castillo had uh, had never been on a motocross bike. Uh how did he get introduced to one and uh and, and where did that go from there?
1: Um yeah, I was uh you know, just a regular kid growing up, um, born and raised in California. And my dad, Jim Castillo, um, he was an avid motorcycle rider and racer and you know, not at like the highest levels, wasn't a professional or anything, but had some you know, some fun in racing intermediate class and stuff. And obviously when you have a boy and you ride motorcycles the the you know, that's what happens. The the boy rides the motorcycle. So um I remember riding around on the front of my dad's bike. Um at, at actual motocross tracks in Saddleback Park and, and places like that, um, prior to even myself getting a bike. But when I was five years old, I think it was probably my birthday. Um, I got a, a little RM50. I think it was in 1978. If I'm correct. Well, RM50. And, uh, and I remember being scared of it and, you know, I had a clutch and you had to shift gears, the whole deal. There was no little wise ingress when I was a kid. But, uh, I remember going straight to the end of the street where we, where we lived in Mission Viejo and, uh, and ride it across the field while my mom and dad watched and turned to go back and, and sort of froze up and did a little whiskey throttle up the side of this hill and over a little path that actually did my first road jump the first time I rode and uh, crashed into the other side of the hill. And, and that was it, you know, hit the ground. And, and from there it just, you know, it was, it was, I, I remember not really liking it. Like I was always afraid of riding the bike and uh, it wasn't until I was like 10 years old, you know, off and on riding that I decided to maybe try to race, and, uh, and I think I was on a, I think we got an RM80 at that point and just started racing
0: and,
1: and having fun with it at that point. Uh,
0: I, exactly the same scenario with me, honestly. I remember the first day when my dad brought home a DS80, which would literally have been the uh, probably the trail bike version of the race bike that you had back then because it was an air cooled uh, uh, yeah. 80cc uh, Suzuki. And I was uh, shit scared of the thing, didn't ride it for the first two weeks, but uh. <laughs> Once you start to generate that, that sense of mastery and uh, the thing to stop spitting you off every couple of minutes, uh, you develop the it a little bit uh, more and more, and uh, you, you enjoy those uh, risk, like kind of risking it a little bit and, and being successful and getting those new jumps. And uh, so you're, of course, you grew up right. in the mecca of motocross, and there's got to be... Right. Uh, riders all over tons of kids to ride with tons of riders to aspire to be like uh what was what was the local scene like for you and uh who were some of those guys that you were riding with and uh who were some of your ra- uh, race rivals growing up
1: right um, so yeah it, obviously where i live out in, you know Sanford, I, i've always lived in orange county which is never well there was orange county international raceway and Saliback park which were local for me when i was a kid right but those both sort of went away early in my uh in my writing, uh, in my writing days. But, um, you know, Jeff Ward, he lived in Mission Viejo as well. And he was always sort of, uh, a neighbor to my grandparent. He was just around. And obviously he was, um, you know, notable at that point and, and obviously one of my heroes. Um, and then you had down in San Diego, all the guys, you know, Rick Johnson and, and Ron Machine and Brock Lever and, and, all those guys. And you had up North above us, you had know, Johnny O and, Bailey and those guys. So yeah, that was sort of the era that I fell in love with with all those guys. And, and, uh, and they were all my heroes and, and, um, it's, it's great that they're all friends of mine now. It's kind of, it's kind of funny when you grow up and you become friends with your heroes, you know, they're still my heroes. It's, it's great. Um, and so that, that was really, um, who I, I looked to, um, in my writing days, but yeah, it's funny. Uh, you guys probably all know who Jeremy Albrecht is, but when I first started racing, um, 80 beginner, he was my rival. We were we were rivals. Like we would just pass race wins back and forth up in uh, a place called Sunrise, and we would race the CMC Golden State Series and stuff. And I remember 80 beginner, and he, he would beat me consistently, and he would get this really big trophy, and it pissed me off. And I I just vowed to get one of those trophies one day. And, and the day finally came where I I remember passing him and, and beating him and getting that trophy. And uh, and we were sort of rivals at that point, but then we became friends. We've been you know. Uh, So, yeah, it's great. It's good fun.
0: For sure. And the sport of motocross, uh, to me, anyway, uh, brings us endless great moments in life that uh, create great memories, great friends and uh, uh, good relationships along the way. Uh, I've got to imagine uh, through, of course, your dad, who's avid in the sport and uh, eventually would uh, go on to uh, innovate the, uh, the knee brace um, it kind of cemented your spot in the, in the motocross industry and in the motocross community in Southern California going into uh, uh, late eighties, early nineties.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that certainly a, a huge um, a huge thing for me and, and with with that with him coming up with the ctid race back in 1983 um and you know it, it was sort of a more used in the snow sports era you know snow sports arena i should say and and then quickly became because we were racing and riding quickly became you know sort of a thing that my friends got and but among guys like Rhino and Factory Phil and Jeremy and guys like that started wearing it preventatively and it sort of became, um, yeah, it, it became me, I became it. So, it, it, you know, it was definitely um, something that carried me along in the sport was the attachment to to the knee brace. So, you know, it, was a, it was a cool innovation for the sport and sort of um, I was attached to it, so absolutely.
0: Oh, I, I remember uh, even from a very young age, um, just assuming that the, the knee braces were, were part of the kit. Man, it's it's one of those things where I even mentioned it to uh, one of my personal trainers growing up that I, I I wanted to get these knee braces, and he told me he's like, you don't want to be in a knee brace. I'm like, I don't want to be in a knee brace after I get hurt. I want to be in that brace so that I do not get hurt. And now since I did tear my MCL, I now have thanks to uh, Canadian free Medicare, I have two, I have a full set of uh, free CTI2 knee braces for free, uh, but right. uh, that's uh, it's it's been an iconic part of the kit and honestly a thing that has kept a lot of riders in the sport and also uh, saved a lot of knees along the way.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. You know, obviously when my dad came up with it, it was because he was injured and they didn't really offer something that would uh, would help him out, you know, snow skiing and riding motorcycles. So he just, being who he is, fiddled around in the garage and created something that, that would work and that obviously came to CTI and then later the CTI too. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, you know, like I've always said, and a lot of people probably have said, you know, you don't uh, bump your head and then put on a helmet when you ride motorcycles, you put the helmet on first and then when you bump your head, hopefully, you know, it saves you from the concussion. So the same applies with everything. Um, You know, you don't wear tennis shoes and and you work, you know, you wear knee braces because they support the knee joint. They support, you know, they support uh, the ligaments and hopefully, Uh, save you from an injury so you know with that was sort of uh, that segues into Asterisk and that's That's exactly why we started Asterisk which was the fact that those braces um, you know the medical system down here is far different from from Canadian style and uh, down here so the the insurance and the, the cost of the braces were really expensive you know I mean $800 $800 each, $1,200 each. It started fluctuating and it got really, really um, difficult, not only financially to, to afford, but also they were really hard to get, you know, and a lot of people were okay. were hoping that they would get prescriptions. And so that's why we started Asterisk back in 99. We decided to create a brace that was as good as the CTI, if not better, yeah. and and offer it a retail cost where people could afford them and, and start to use them as part of their safety kit. And, uh, and that's, you know, you know, they started at, at five forty nine for a set, which was far less expensive than than CTIs. Um, and the adjustability yeah, so the, of uh, the
0: so sorry to interrupt you there, but the the the, the adjustability yeah. of the 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 the, the Astra's knee brace yeah. has yeah. de- developed has uh, basically evolved over the years. At first, uh, d- different parts of it were adjustable. Now, almost. When you get your uh, Asterisk knee brace, the thing can basically become a comp- custom knee brace with all the adjustments, the BOA system, and and how you you can dial it into your knee. So you can buy something off the shelf and tailor made it to yourself to uh, to give yourself that same feel, that same uh, and possibly even more superior um, fit, which also is something that you can change on the fly. Like say like like I myself right now. This this last summer, I was uh, walking around at 207 pounds, wasn't happy about it. I now stand 187. Well, my leg uh. and my and my anatomy isn't quite the exact same as it was uh, four months ago. So instead of going out and buying new, new, new d- knee braces, uh, if I have my, my asterisk, I can go in and I can adjust them and I can make sure that the fit is as good as it needs to be to support that knee.
1: Well, that was an amazing commercial you just rattled off, Boom. but it's all true. <laughs> um, that was awesome. <laughs> I want to record it myself. Can I record you back?
0: Uh, I, I, I have uh, the, I have that recording so, uh, I, I can, I can throw you some, uh, some audio if you need.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the adjustability is huge. Um, you know, you get a, you get a general size, small, medium, large, extra large, and then everything else adjusts around your leg. And, and that small, medium, large, extra large is, is just the width of your knee joint, which is still, uh, semi-adjustable through padding. So, um, that was the idea: create a brace that you could put on that was customizable, rather than custom-fit a brace. Prior that, when your leg changes shape or you decide that maybe that was wrong, that you can you can change it on the fly, and um, and that's been really successful for us. Um, a lot of brands have tried to you know come into the market and create what they call a knee brace. Um, in my opinion, none of them are. Um, they don't have any any protective value other than possibly um, hyperextension. You know, extension stops, but everything else, lateral support, and ro- rotation, and, and all of these things that, you know, we've been involved with and exclusive to um, since 1983, you know, they, they sort of missed the boat. But, they, you know, God bless them for trying to steal some money.
0: Um, well, the thing is, is that, you know, hyperextension is more of a contact sport. Uh, like problem you the guy guys who have like with hockey they run into each other's knees and the knee bends the wrong way right. or a football you end up stopping it on a dime and a guy hits you in the lower knee uh you go right over the top but with motocross more often than not when we hit the ground we're twisting we're we're putting torsion right. on the knee uh in, through the medial plane uh which is uh completely different than 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 most sports
1: Yeah well you know the the biggest uh seems me, the, the biggest uh, problem is catching your toe on the ground and twisting your, your you know, r- rotating your lower leg opposed to your upper, upper leg and that's where, you know, we've we've created an attachment that, that our brace attaches to the boot and so that the rotation of the boot actually gets fed into the knee brace which has the lateral support cuffs that wrap around your leg and all the forces go into those so that it actually deflects the force and, and diminishes the force throughout the brace and into the into the cuffs. Um, so that's, that's huge. To me, that's the biggest, best feature of, of, of the, any knee brace anywhere. That's, that's, that's the one thing that really, really stands out to me
0: and, and uh, honestly one of the, the reasons why I uh, originally reached out to you uh, this particular week or like, I've been reaching out to you just in the last little while is because uh, uh, early last year during the Supercross season we started to see something different on the uh, on the noses of a lot of uh, our, our star racers. We saw it on Cooper Webb, we saw it on Jesse Nelson, we saw it on uh, Cole Seeley and even Brock Tickle. It was uh, a little bit different. Like A lot of people are seeing uh, they've seen nose strips in the past. Uh, hockey players wear it. Football players wear it. And to, to get a, uh, some extra oxygen, you've seen motocross racers wear it as well. Tell me a little bit about this new product that you've come up with. That I, in my opinion, completely genius. Uh, and not to uh, to blow you too hard, but this is really a cool innovation to a sport where uh, it's all about lungs. And uh, you've uh, you've added some uh, some pathways.
1: Well, I appreciate the blowing.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: but, uh, again, the, the genius, the genius, uh, ideas, uh, goes back to my dad again. It, it's definitely not my idea. Um, I, I usually, the you know, sort of the person who shows up, uh, as asterisk, but really my dad, That's um, and my brother actually helped come up with this. Um, this is something my dad's talked about for a long time. Um, he's, you know, he's always had a problem when he wears his goggles that he can't breathe through his nose. Um, and I think it was just irritating for him. I don't think he even realized the benefit of of breathing through his nose. So when he decided to do um, what we did, which is the, the AC system, um, it was he actually started researching nose breathing and realizing how important uh, it is for physical activity and even non-physical activity, um, which everyone should read about. Everyone should should Google nose breathing and, and look at how important it is because it's. Uh, I've learned so much from it. Um, I've you know carried into my mountain biking and yeah and going to sleep and it's all kinds of things i' I've, I've I've made sure to concentrate it on but what the what the system is is um, it's a system that goes into um, all existing goggles and we were going to do a goggle which we we designed and, and we had patents in for and stuff like that but we decided not to do a specific goggle um, not only because it's, it's difficult to get the adjustment of what you need with what we're doing but um but I think it was better to to make something that adapts to everybody's goggles and every brand of goggle. So what we created was a system that's magnetic and these, these little clips basically snap into your to your goggle frame around your nose area. And what those clips do is they smash the foam away from your face so that it creates an open area. And if you were to put the, the goggle on with just the clips, you would notice by looking down that you can actually see air. So um, it, it actually pulls all of that foam away from your nose, and then what we do is inside of those clips there are magnets, and so the, the funny sticker that you were talking about um, with the with the little steel dimple in it those stick onto your nose, much like a, a nasal strip would, except for they don't do anything on their own. They they only they only work when you put your goggle on. So what happens when you put your goggle on? That area that is is opened up for you is now filled because of the steel feel dimples going out to the magnets it now opens your your nasal passageway by who knows the percentage it's massive it, it literally feels like you have a hole in the front of your face and and it's an amazing feeling it's um it's it's crazy to be honest the, the way it makes you feel it's sort of addicted you kind of want to walk around with your goggles on all the time
0: Fair enough. Absolutely. It's one of those things where uh, it totally made sense to me because one of the things that uh, was a common practice at uh, at elite performance systems where I used to work out is that they would make you uh, do a cardio training with water in your mouth. And, of course, you cannot breathe through wow. your mouth when you have water in your mouth. So it's that's restricting your <laughs> oxygen. and. You train so that's her.
1: really funny. I've, I've told our riders to, to ride with gum in their mouth because it restricts you from breathing through your mouth. Not completely, but yeah. a lot. You sort of in the gum. And, and I do that mountain biking, and it's it's a crazy difference. Um, not to cut you off, but yeah, uh, totally. to, to go back to what the nose breathing is really quick, it, it's pretty amazing. You think, well, I need oxygen, right? So I'm going to breathe harder through my mouth. But that's actually the opposite of what you want to do because that hyperventilates you, and it actually constricts your blood vessels because you're over-oxygenated. And so the, the reason that nose breathing, um, really quickly without boring everybody, is, Go is good is because when you exhale through your nose, the carbon dioxide that's in your lungs <clears throat> that's expelled fills your nasal passageway. And in your nasal passageway, your, your nose actually produces um, nitric oxide, which is a natural, uh, a natural vasodilator. So when you take a, a breath back in through your nose, the first thing that goes into your lungs is that carbon dioxide and the nitric oxide that are in your nasal passageways. And that actually opens all your all your blood vessels. It gets into your blood and it opens everything up so that the oxygen that follows is way better absorbed and gets to your muscles, <clears throat> gets to your brain in, in far bigger quantities. And uh, and it's a, it's a crazy feeling. I mean, um, people are talking about arm pump going away and, and mental clarity and, And a lot of lot of different things that you know I've felt, but um, a lot of pretty much everybody is pretty amazed with the result from it. So it's definitely a a performance a performance product that you know allows you to just utilize your own performance chemicals that are in your own head, which is kind of crazy.
0: That is incredible, and and the, for those who are uh, aren't familiar with uh, vasodilation, that those are terms that are used a lot when br- bringing up uh, pre workout supplements and and opening up those uh, those blood vessels, allowing uh, the the oxygen and, and all of the the nutrients. To your to your muscles, allowing yourself to move that much faster, and of course, also would be brought in when uh, that term is brought in when you're talking about a, a product like Viagra, which uh, helps the blood flow. Which if we're talking about motocross, we need that blood to be flowing, right?
1: That's right. And uh, i i have not uh, I've not gotten a boner from the AC system,
0: but I hope to. I, I believe that you can one day achieve a boner with uh, with the AC system. Um, it might require goggles on off the bike, but at the same really, time, really,
1: let's be honest, it might require Denny Stevenson.
0: It might require Denny Stevenson 110. percent We might have to uh, airlift a pair of uh, of the right. of the AC system out to him and and have a, a full right. product test. Uh, available soon on, uh, on newsstands, 110%. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, your pro- professional motocross career as you were coming up into the ranks, uh, early nineties, yep. but before we hit those, we got to hit some commercial. We'll be right back with Dave Castillo on the big MX radio podcast show brought to you by fly racing, X brand goggles and W wheels.
1: Cowboy Kenny Bartram here. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to
0: commercial, but don't go away. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You, too, can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice or just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well... These amigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids! Start out every morning with a fat ball. When it comes to helmets, there is just one—the helmet brand that is just one helmet is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses just one? the J32, and all of the colorways that absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. XL and D.I.D. rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungy, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels.
2: Bills Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bills Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bills Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bills Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE-13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX-2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone-look finish that will turn heads all day long. Head to Billspipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Linovich Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Colby. Bills Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest, so go with Bills Pipes and never settle.
0: And we're back, Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, W Wheels, and X-Brand Goggles. I am still your host, Brad Gebhardt. We haven't changed since commercial break, and we are still on the line with Dave Castillo. Dave, uh, you are... eastbound and down, heading out to the high des, um, where uh, you spent a lot of your motocross career, um, and it stems all the way back from 1991 on those lightning-fast RM125s. Tell us a little bit about your transition to the pro ranks, uh, who you were riding with, and what kind of uh, bad examples that are, like a bad... uh, influences you had around you guys like Denny Stevenson, Buddy Antonez and, and whatnot?
1: <laughs> right, I think the 90s were just about influence on their own, but um, yeah, enough. it was uh, 91. Yeah, I was uh, coming off of um, basically, I know a lot of guys these days go, you know, they ride the A class in the amateur nationals. I didn't ever do that. I, I went from the B class at, at the amateur nationals to riding um, a national at uh, Millville which, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one, but love yeah, track, I, I came up and, and yeah, I love it. It's probably my favorite track, uh, from when I was racing for sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, coming out of Loretta's and not even doing that well, I think, you know, um, or I definitely didn't win, you know, third place and maybe a fifth place in the B class and kind of watching some people that I'd raced with, um, jump up and, and go straight into the nationals. I, I just decided I was going to do the same thing. I sort of didn't want to wait. And, um, uh, I'm not really sure why it was probably a super bad choice, but anyway, that's what I did. And, and, uh, I went and raced, uh, Millville and qualified. I couldn't, I have no idea how I did in the, in the two motos. Um, but that was kind of where I, when I turned pro and then, um, wrote a few of the nationals and I'm, Pretty sure I qualified for all of them, and then um, and then obviously the next year's race, Supercross, West Coast Supercross, and the 125s, um, which was I'm trying to remember and recollect if right away I think I blew my knee out um, in '91.
0: Uh, yeah, you made it all the way to uh, June in '91. Okay, uh, June well, there 15th, you your you 18th overall. I uh, no, I, I'm cheating. Uh, racer X vault helps me out with certain things like that, but, uh, uh, awesome.
1: well then you know better than me, but uh obviously
0: <laughs> I wasn't super successful. There was no, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it say
1: There were any highlights to, to my racing. Um, and then of course there was the, the, the knee, um, I remember in, uh, daytime qualifier, um, behind Dana Wiggins and, um, coming around, I think they had a triple or triple jumps out of the first turn. And, and I was fourth or fifth coming out of the first turn and sort of expected everyone in the front to jump it. And I jumped it. And I remember Dana, for some reason, wasn't able to, so he doubled. And as he was rolling over the third one, I knew I was going to land on him. So I, I just tossed my bike away. I didn't really want to land on my buddy. So I threw my bike away and landed on you know on my feet on the, the third jump and threw my knees shit. And so that was sort of the beginning of my knee problems. Um, And, again, from there on, you know, coming back six, seven months later, whatever it was, and trying to do it again, um, never anything like I – I wouldn't call – I raced for a long time, but I I still don't call it a career. I didn't really have any highlights, in my opinion. Um, I just sort of was having a good time and and hanging out with my friends and and getting to race motocross at the highest level, which was – Yeah. That was a highlight. But, uh, you know, uh, you know no race wins, no, no even top tens. So um, that kind of sucked. I
0: I wouldn't go that far, man. I've literally been racing motocross since the tender age of 11 years old and I'm yet to come across the finish line in the first place position yet once. And I've only raced like in, in the, the, uh, Provincial level, and yet uh, through that, yeah. still find a huge love for the sport, and uh, and it, it's really cool to be able to uh, like to ride at the top level, and maybe not be at the top level of the top level, but still be out there on yeah. these tracks with these riders. And uh, at this point, uh, and I, uh, you may you may say that you didn't have the most successful career uh, during your racing time, but uh, uh, I like to I'd like to say that uh, maybe you're uh, you're maybe lack there of success, uh, carried you forward to, to continue wanting to do it today, where I, I see uh, nonstop uh, social media posts of you're still riding days in the dirt, you're still doing commercials on motocross bikes, you're still uh, riding on a regular basis, and um, compared to most, doing it at probably a higher level than most of the guys that were finishing ahead of you at these races, so um, right. if, if well, anything, it kept you kindling yeah.
1: along. Yeah, well, I mean, you can measure success in in different ways, right? And and what you're saying is true. I mean, uh, my racing wasn't successful as far as results, which is a results-based sport. But it it definitely was successful for my life. It's kind of brought me everything that I have. It's given me everything that I know. And, uh, and you know, I love the sport for that. Um, So, yeah, success definitely um, has carried for a long way. But, you know, results-wise is what I'm talking about. But, you know... Like I tell people now, even when I'm sitting in the stands in the Supercross, and people might talk shit on somebody who's out there and maybe not having the best result, they have no idea. Every single dude on that track is ridiculously talented. Oh yeah. Uh, some people race, but race better than others. But um, but there's you know even to be out there, even circulating on a Supercross track, is is a pretty amazing feat, and uh, not a lot of people get to do it. So I I say you know I wasn't successful, but like you said, um, success is is uh, measured in different ways. So I agree with everything you said.
0: Perfect. Uh, I I'd like my, when my guests uh, agree wholeheartedly with me, but uh, it's it's totally true. When uh, when when you see these guys out there, and of course you see the Ken Roxons and then Ryan Dungies, and they're flying around the track, and their their lap times are, are sub forty five seconds. And you see some guys that are barely making all the jumps, and they're a little bit sketchy coming out of the corners. Like, what is this guy doing? But honestly, if you're out there and if you're on the floor, the average person wouldn't even dare try and uh, launch these jumps or, or, or link a section together. Uh, and if any of those riders happen to come to your local track, they'd make you look silly on a stock bike uh, with, with uh, wearing uh, work boots and, and a ball cap. These kids are, are extremely Absolutely. talented and uh, yeah. capable of, of amazing things. And Honestly, one of the coolest things about uh, that I think about uh, professional motocross races is not only is their racing skill, but when you break these kids out of their, uh, like just doing motos, or like you send them out to the hills, you just see like some of the amazing things that they can do on a motorcycle. uh, Just kind of playing around, though, that's when you see like the true the the control that they have over the bike, and just the the certain things that uh, the average person wouldn't even think of doing.
1: Right. No, I agree. I mean, that's kind of where Krusty Demons and Dirt started back in the day. You know, those guys were, all of those guys were racers. All the guys who started doing that, and they just uh, would go out in the hills and just do ridiculously amazing things. And, uh, and and that's where that whole movement, sort of the free riding started. There's uh, a lot of racers who weren't cutting it results-wise, but were amazingly talented who'd go out and make these crazy videos that people fell in love
0: with. It created a
1: whole new sport.
0: It really did and, and that allowed you to wear really baggy LBZ gear at the van's Triple Crown on a Kawasaki.
1: Listen, 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 listen. We come on now. I didn't wear any LBZ. I've never worn LBZ.
0: It was flesh gear. All right, flesh gear. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh either way it's different
1: trust me, it's way different. <laughs>
0: Uh got guys who were wearing baggy stuff back in the day. We're talking about Clifford Adeltante, uh all those guys. You were going off with them, man, and uh that's kinda of cool in and of itself to be at the ground floor of a sport that uh uh has has, has only evolved from now, uh to become more of a video game trick thing than anything else.
1: Yeah, it was fun, it was good. Um I, I just I I have uh always had sort of better supercross timing than actual Raw Speed and and what was cool about that in the beginning, the freestyle stuff was, um, it was really called more rewriting, but it was cool because I could, I took, from um, supercross and, and, you know, ability to time jumps and, and it really lent itself to that because it was, uh, the tricks weren't really happening. Nobody was backflipping. Carrie was just starting to take the seat off and put him near the rear axle. And that was amazing. Um, and so, you know, I did that for only like those three contests, whatever. And and I actually did all right, just just timing jumps and putting little runs together. And then, you know, as as the young guys started throwing little tricks and stuff in there, um, I had just had a, my first child then, and, and um, they sort of surpassed me. And I decided well, it was probably not the place for me to be trying to throw myself off of the bike in midair and I had a little mouth to feed. And, a little more responsibility in front of me. So, um, as well as I was doing, you know, starting the stop start work too, and I didn't want to kill myself because that was starting to become uh, a real thing for me.
0: Absolutely Now uh, how, what was the What, what, what point uh, during the late 90s Did you kind of realize that uh, there, there was something bigger Or there was something uh, else out there for you Other than professional motocross uh, What allowed you to uh, make that step So that you could focus on uh, On doing the stunt work Because uh, any of us growing up That want to be professional motocross racers I got to imagine that it's a difficult thing To let go of once you're there
1: yeah, no, you're right. It is. Um, well, you know, like we talked about earlier, I, I, my whole, you know, growing up, I always had, um, I always had innovation sports, which, which was the CCI based company, and and um, so I always got to see that side of things too. So not only was I, you know, reading and writing, but I was getting to see some business and watch watch the business grow. So I understood business, and and I, I guess I always had that um, as sort of a, a backstop. I always sort of um, had the you know, a lot of people don't have that. They they have to race to make money. And I, I always knew that I didn't because, the, the you know, the company was successful and my dad had, you know, a fair amount of money and I sort of th- th- had that luxury that a lot of people don't have. So I was able to race and have fun with it and not have to do well. Um, and to get back to the point, though, you know, it, I, I had that um, that other world in my sights too. So I always knew, you know, well if it doesn't work out, I can I can go into business and whatever. But it, you're right; it's always hard to let go of that dream of Wow, I'm going to be, you know, I want to be a great motorcycle racer. I want to be, you know, I want to be known as a great motorcycle racer. And uh, you know, eventually you realize you're just not. You you know, these these other guys are just better racers than you. Um, we're all great riders, but a lot of people are just great racers. And um, you know, as things progressed and you know, I had a kid and, and, uh, you know, was starting to do stuff, um, within innovation sports. I just sort of realized, you know, it's not going to be my thing. I'm, I'm going to c- continue to do it, like race professionally for fun, if, if you will. Um, but I, I knew I was going to transition into something else. And then um, obviously we started Asterisk in 1999 and I started doing stunt work in 99. So those two things, um, and my first son, like I said, was born in 97. So all of that stuff sort of was just a, a really easy way to make that transition. But a lot of guys don't have, you know, those, those things. They, they just kind of have to race.
0: Absolutely. No, you, you have definitely uh, turned a, a motocross career and a action sports passion uh, into uh, kind of like a, 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 life, a life of having, making, like, Basically, having fun for a living, which is, uh, of course, I guarantee there's some hard work involved with uh, like innovating brands like uh, Imperial Motion, Asterisk.com, and uh, the um, and the stuntman work. But uh, at, at the same time, I gotta like it, it's just, it's plain to me that uh, you you've really enjoyed yourself over the years.
1: Oh, that's yeah, I have. Um, I've had it really, really well. Um, <laughs> luckily. But I, I've always just sort of had that idea that, uh, you know, I'm going to, I, I just, I sort of just live for fun. I have to have fun. If I'm not having fun, I'm miserable. So I just kind of try to keep everything fun. And, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, I've had the means to do it uh, for a long time. And we've definitely, like you said, we've hit rough patches and, and, uh, you know, companies go through, you know, changes and money gets weird and tight. And, um, you know, I have the same issues everyone else does, but, you know, for a long time, I didn't. Yeah, I'm kidding. I got to have a lot of fun.
0: Where does Imperial Motion come into all of this? And, of course, we get a little bit off topic because that's how radio works. Mm. But uh, uh, you yourself, yeah. avid surfer, avid uh, lifestyle guy, uh, how does that come, come into play?
1: Well, Imperial Motion is just – I'm not attached to Imperial Motion. It's just a clothing company that uh, – that, uh, a friend of mine, Jason Kimball, is involved with, okay. and uh, he started. He just started getting me stuff, and so they're just kind of you know, flow me clothes and stuff. It's, it's not really anything I'm personally involved with, or business wise. Um, so it's just basically a, you know, some nice people flowing me some clothes at this ripe old age. I don't know how it continues to happen, but there you go.
0: Well, it's it's you've become a bit of a, a poster boy for stuff stuff like this because uh, ever since donning the the fast house jerseys, I gotta admit, I gotta admit, man, uh, the the brand itself has gotten a whole lot more uh, um, attention, and, and there's people that are uh, seemingly uh, jumping to their computers to go order the stuff up, and uh, your kit is always looking on point, uh, like and that literally, it, like and it's so funny as motocross racers at young and old we we still love to be the the sickest looking rider on the track we like to have that kit just looking on point even earlier today Travis Pastrana posting her like show posting an instagram photo of himself uh showing off his brand new uh red bull lid that has uh like a kind of a plaid interior of the helmet like you can just see how excited he is about his brand new helmet the same way he would have been oh. when he was 10 years old same way you are right you now you how
1: it is it, it doesn't matter how fast you are it matters how fast you look
0: that's right look pro go it's, slow uh, bro yeah the,
1: yeah the, the fast house stuff is awesome i actually love the brand um it was something that um, Kenny Alexander who started day in the dirt yeah, um, came up with and sort of partnered with Troy Lee on. It was something he, he had from his youth. I think that um, the fast house was like a, like a motorcycle shop and um, he just, he has this passion for, for old school moto and, and he has this idea that, you know, it, it's not all about racing. It's not all you know, about results or being the fastest guy. It's just about motorcycles and lifestyle and, and having a good time. And that's what, that's where the fast house brand was sort of born and, and, um, and Kenny, um, he's a stuntman as well. So it it ties in to a lot of things for me. And it was just a, it was a brand that when he asked me to, you know, to wear it, that it, it just made a lot of sense to me. It's it's a brand that, that not only I, you know, want to represent, but it represents me. So when you talk about branding, it it really makes a lot of sense. And, and it's really clean. I, I love obviously just really clean, simple stuff and, you see a lot of gear out there that just makes you want to vomit. And, uh, as a matter of fact, most of it, but this stuff is just simple, black and white, yeah, maybe that's... one color here or there and, and super clean. And it's, it's not about racing. It's not about you know being the best dude. It's just about having a great time and, and looking cool.
0: <laughs> Exactly, and it, that's exactly what I love about it. The first time I saw one of those jerseys, is like I need to have one of those because it's absolutely it's a throwback to a simpler time when uh, you would have worn the jersey of the manufacturer that was between your legs. You would run like the like, you would run a Kawasaki, you run a Kawasaki green jersey, or if you're like it's just like that simple font, and uh, it's, it's it's exactly what it needs to be. And uh, the Fast House does it right. They uh, they they've seemed to have uh, really struck a chord there. I like. It. um yeah and, and you se- seem to have kind of like uh really been able to uh structure your schedule around uh hitting some really cool events with these guys of course day in the dirt and uh and, and surfer cross where you get to uh show off the god bot, and, and that's what you've been best known for over the years which i imagine as you get older becomes more and more difficult to maintain
1: oh my god i mean I'm 43. Try to be 43 and and have the name Godbod. I mean, everyone calls me Godbod. Yeah. And that prick Denny, he started that in like '95, <laughs> and uh, I've had to carry that with me ever since. And it, it's honestly, it's really difficult. Like, I go to the gym now because I'm called Godbod, not because I want to, but because I have to carry this image around, and, and it's like, oh, it's a nightmare. You poor thing.
0: I I'm gonna I'm gonna sit up here in in Winnipeg, Canada, uh, and uh, and pay way too much for gas, and have my dollar worth seventy four cents your American dollar, and uh, and I'm just gonna feel super bad for you there, Dave. I'm, going to, I'm <laughs> gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna rain pity on you, right. and just all this like this you're you are you you are really tugging at my heart here.
1: I'll
0: take it. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, what uh, what draws you to motocross today? Some people have been in the sport for so long. At, at some point, they can say that uh, I, I've had enough. I can, I can, uh, I don't need to do that anymore. But for you, it seems like something that you're ever excited about, ever uh, wanting to to keep continue moving forward with. Um, what about motocross yeah. today excites you just as much as it did in 1991?
1: Um, but, you know,
0: it, it probably excites me
1: more than it did in 1991. Um, I, I just really enjoy it now. I don't know that I enjoyed it as much before. I mean, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed hanging out with, with my friends at the races. Um, I don't know that I enjoyed the racing so much, but now I really enjoy just riding the motorcycle and, and having it the turn, right. And just I just enjoy that moment. It, it's just something I look forward to, and it, it takes my mind off all other stuff that's going on. Um, and it's it's just uh, you know, getting out, like you said, to day in the dirt and racing, which is not really a race because it's a team race. And mm-hmm. and the same with surfer cross; it's a team race. It's just it's strictly for fun, and there's just no pressure to do well. It doesn't matter. We're all out there having fun, and uh, and and I think it's the the lack of pressure um, that makes it as enjoyable as it can be now. You know, I think when you're racing, there's a lot of pressure and, and although it's fun and all of that, I think that it, it gets, uh, that stuff gets overlooked by the, the racers because there's so much pressure on them to do well and to make money and to earn a living and, and all of that stuff. So, um, that, you know, I think, I think it's always been the same. It's just that, you know, there's really no more pressure. And, and as you know, I also like to, you know, keep my skill sharp because I, I am doing a lot of motorcycle work still. So it's always good to stay on the bike as much as possible.
0: For sure, it's it's as if uh, the the events that you're hitting today are uh, what you wish the uh, professional events were back then. When you're you're there and everyone's super competitive and aggro, and they're they're putting down these super fast lap times, and you're over here and be like, why can't we just have fun, guys? Yeah, let's cruise. Let's just throw some big whips and or uh, like hit these corners good, and then we can go have beers later. Why why is everyone trying to go right. faster? right slow down kids you're gonna get hurt no kidding now uh like you, you find yourself on a lot of different motorcycles throughout the year uh but predominantly you're on the uh the suzuki 450 um but what yeah. I, I wanted to mention per more like uh, more than anything was uh, that you jumped on uh, a kx 500 uh just just about a year uh, ago to uh to, to spin some laps how was that thing
1: well, I expected it to be really fun. It was my friend Dauber's and he's, uh, he's built that thing. And, um, he, it was fun to, to, to go around on, but there had a clutch issue. He had, he was messing around with a, with a recluse clutch and apparently there's a, a certain type of oil you can't use with it. And the clutch was slipping really bad to make a long story short. Mm. Um, so I, I got to feel it, but not at the level that it should have been, um, and actually the other day I went to ride it again and he had just gotten off the track on it and he had a flat tire. So um hopefully soon I'll be able to get back on that because my you know, coming up racing mammoth and stuff on five hundreds was always one of my favorite things. And to to go get on a, a tight five hundred again will be nice. But yeah, I didn't I didn't get to ride it at a full potential But it felt good, uh, even a little bit that I got to
0: there you go well um what does the what does the number four eleven mean for you uh it's a different than uh the the, the nine seventy one that we're used to seeing but uh so what's what's with that digit yeah
1: well the four eleven so when i when i when i turned pro um
0: i was given nine seventy one which was um
1: Ward's Ward's previous number who is an awesome dude and i was happy to happy to carry that torch of the nine seven one yeah um but when I, uh, I I quit racing for a few years in in the mid, late 90s, whatever it was, um, after another knee injury, or, or I can't even remember why. Um, and when I came back and decided to race again, um, 971 wasn't available. And they gave me a list of, of numbers that were, and they just rattled off 411. And, and I'd remember that Joel Albrecht, who's a, who's a really good friend of mine, was 411 when he started racing. And I said, oh, just give me 411. So it was just that simple. I just wanted to steal his number and uh, just kind of been carrying that ever since.
0: Fair enough. Carry it and wear it well. Yeah. Uh, looking super. Uh, always looking like just, just a super clean look with the fly, uh, the uh, the fast house stuff. Man, like uh, the the bell helmet. Everything comes together and uh, it's a it's a great look. Uh, what do you like most about um, the the motocross scene in California now in comparison to where things have come from?
1: Um, well, you know, when I was a kid, there was no legal tracks to ride out. So everything that I would go practice on was illegal. Um, you know, you'd have to go fight with cops daily, you know, get tickets and this and that. Um, it's great now because within an hour of me and close to most everyone else who's racing, um, there's a handful, five, six, really, really good tracks that are all open every day of the week. And, uh, <clears throat> and they all have supercross tracks too so the kids these days are are getting a whole lot more time on on legitimate tracks um than than I was so that's that's a really great thing for all the all the kids who want to race and ride
0: Fair enough so uh, before I let you go uh, I can't let I can't let you off the phone without talking about uh, this last uh, topic and I, th- I I got a live read uh, that included it but uh, you are are well known on on uh, Instagram to be brandishing a hat uh, with the logo that's rather notorious of a uh, another account that uh, is very well known uh, the butt snorkelers um, first of all what is a butt snorkeler uh, can anything female butt be snorkeled and how exactly does a butt get snorkeled um or how can a butt be labeled as to being snorkeled
1: well so um butt <laughs> snorkeler know, yeah, obviously butt snorkeler is an account that I ran across like everybody else way back yeah. and and I just laughed I just said that's that's funny I don't even know what's funny about it but it's funny
0: it's just fun to say snorkeler
1: yeah and so I was I don't know, you know, you've seen my posts. Sometimes I post stupid shit on my wife and, you know, half naked, blah, blah, blah. Perfect. Um, but she does not does not approve of at all. But, um, it, you know, uh, I think I would tag maybe the butt snorkelers just because I didn't know who they were. I didn't know anything about it. And then um, a, a friend of mine, Ryan Penhall, who's um, the son of Bruce Penhall, the, the old um, speedway racer, he actually contacted me. He's like, Hey, I know that guy. I know the guy who runs it. His name is name's Matt Smith. Um, who goes by vicarious underscore Vern on, uh, on Instagram. But in any case, so I linked up with that guy and he's just super, super cool. And, uh, he flowed me a bunch of stuff and it turns out we have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of friends, um, mutual friends. And I don't know. I just unknowingly sort of kept tagging it and talking about it and posting more pictures of, you know, this and that, and and uh, kind of grew into what it is, and uh, I've got boxes of shirts and hats and stickers, and uh, you know I have no uh, no ties to it financially, but I just think it's great. I think it's funny, and and I love uh, I love messing with it.
0: Fair enough. Well, we we, we look forward to uh, to the uh, continuing. Uh success of, of butt snorkeling everywhere and uh, encourage uh, all those to, to go check out that page the but, uh, butt uh if you haven't if you're not already following it you should be although it's I think it's 115,000 fo- followers so there's a good chance you already are and uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's good times good people uh, Kelsey's um, what uh what what do you have coming down the pipe? I imagine you've probably done some Christmas shopping this year and uh what does your two thousand sixteen look like?
1: Um I haven't done any Christmas shopping. I hate Christmas, that's my wife's job. Perfect. And uh and uh two thousand sixteen, so I'll finish chips uh, just after the new year. I'll go to Anaheim one as usual and uh and hang out there and then I will leave Bring an extra pair of underwear for me. I will have them uh, unwashed. And uh then I go to Atlanta for um Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Um and I'll be there for uh, off and on for three months. So um yeah, some that's that's the downside. A lot of people oh, stunts and movies and this and that and you're like, Yeah, try to leave home, you know, for three months. So obviously I'll fly back and forth to to see my wife and kids, but um it's it's not it's not all cracked up to be so I'll do that um, I'm thankful to be working and then uh, when I come home from there then I start a TV show uh, that's in California that's all motorcycles and surfing so um, that's what I'm really looking forward to
0: so it's basically uh, Dave Castillo TV like it's just going to be instead of Ed TV it's it, just Dave TV it
1: it really kind of is it's uh it's a pretty amazing show and uh, and I can't wait until it starts because uh, I did the pilot for it. Um, a few months ago and it was just, it's all riding Ducatis and surfing and crashing cars. And it's, uh, it's like, what's better than that?
0: Well, I did just make a Ed TV met reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Dave, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime to, uh, chat moto chat about the, uh, the AC system over at Asterix. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, either promo or uh, let our fans know about before I let you go?
1: Uh, no, it's, it's been a pleasure to be on it. Thanks for calling me. Call me anytime. Um, uh, promote, I don't know, promote uh, my Instagram and Asterix Instagram. That's about it.
0: Fair enough. At Dave underscore Castillo uh, on Instagram as well as uh at asterisk underscore dot com. Uh, you can check out those both. And like we said, um, the Asterisk knee brace is not a custom knee brace. It's a knee brace that you can make custom to your knee. Make those adjustments every time you get a little bit stronger. You get those bigger legs. You can then uh, adjust the... Uh, the knee brace to uh, fit accordingly. That way you don't have to go out and get the uh, knee braces reset and all that fun stuff. Dave that's Castillo, right. it's been a huge, and
1: you, can, and you can put those braces on your wife and, and snorkel her.
0: So you could put them on her. That's or, right.
1: Or, hey, or boyfriend, whatever floats your boat.
0: Well, the thing is, do is that. I feel like the AC system would actually be ideal for butt snorkeling because if you're going to have, optimum... well, now, well,
1: now you see the master plan. Now there we go. It.
0: I think I might have uh, cool. stumbled you're across. On, you're on to me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Dave. Well, uh, don't don't yeah. hang up just yet. But uh, for podcast sake, yeah. we'll uh, we'll we'll cap it off right there.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome, dude. An hour and three minutes of high quality audio and uh, a few laughs along the way. I had an awesome time talking to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you for having me.
0: That's that's great. For sure, man. I, I I hope I was able to uh, like, uh, know the stats and and uh, and quiz you on some pretty cool stuff,
1: dude. You knew you like brought back all kinds of stuff for me. I, I'm glad you knew all that stuff. That's amazing. awesome.
0: I just, I had uh, uh, Steve Lampson on here for two hours, and I'm like, do I have to let you go? He's like, man, I've been sitting in my car for an hour and a half. Like, I just love this shit. I'm like, <laughs> that's
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> But, That's funny. Uh, I'm
1: actually parked at a gas station right now, almost out of gas. I've been sitting
0: here for probably 20 minutes at a gas stall. <laughs> oh shit! Well, you know what? I'll let you go, uh, Dave. It's no, it's said. great.
1: It's great. Uh, same as Lammy. Just I'm just enjoying myself. I don't care.
0: That's sweet. I am, I hope you got uh, the same ear to ear grin. <laughs> That I've got. Uh, I really, I, I really, honestly, I look up to uh, uh, what you've done with the sport of motocross and the the industry and uh, um, the guys like yourself, like uh, kind of show me that uh, if you have enough passion for this, you can uh, you can be part of it too. So uh, that's that's what I'm working towards. Awesome.
1: Thanks, man. You're doing
0: a great job. Thanks, man. You have yourself a great day, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Uh, you have yourself a, a happy holiday.
1: Thanks, you too, man. Let me know when the when the podcast comes out.
0: Absolutely. I'll send you a link as soon as it's edited. Perfect. Take Thanks,
1: care. Man. Bye. Bye,
0: Thanks, bye. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast. Thank you Brought for to you listening to the MX Big MX Podcast. Podcast. Brought be to be you sure by to Be sure to check out, check, big check out our archive. Be sure to check out our archive. Check out our website. Check out our website at bigmxradio.com for more content.